Warning! This episode of The Secret Cinema contains discussions of disturbing and adult content. So, heads up! What happened to Grandpa? <laughs> he went over to the old hotel. He was gonna kill him. Instead, they got him drunk. He's not drunk, stupid. He's been doped. Huh? With that stuff that they call LSD. The whole bunch take it. What does it do, that L, whatever you call it? Boy, you really don't know anything. Well, it makes a person crazy. Wow. Is that what they've done to Grandpa? Hey, kids. It's time to grab a chum. Snag some snacks. And celebrate some cinematic underdogs. That's right. It's time for this week's installment of... Secret Cinema. Welcome to The Secret Cinema, the podcast that freaks out about film. I'm Paolo Carone, my co-host is Carrie Chafee, and we're joined again by Josh Benson to discuss David E. Durston's 1970 lsd exploitation thriller, I Drink Your Blood. This is our final episode of the year, but we will be back January 12th with a new episode and an even newer guest. Thanks to all of our listeners, old and new, for tuning in in 2017. We hope none of you get the colds that we have. And here's Carrie with the plot summary. When a small band of hippies arrive in the isolated town of Valley Hills, they seem to be a welcome addition to the town's shrinking population. But when the hippies end up assaulting a young woman and her grandfather, a local boy gets creative with his revenge and ends up turning Valley Hills into a living nightmare. I Drink Your Blood takes place in the fictional town of Valley Hills, and the location, as well as what makes it unique, is essential to justify the film's crazy plot. In our first clip, Mildred, who runs the local bakery, and her lover Roger, who is head engineer on a dam being constructed nearby, discuss the assault of local girl Sylvia, but it's blatantly an excuse to explain much of what we need to know for the plot to make sense. Also, this is something we touch on quite a bit in the discussion, but despite Sylvia's assault being the film's inciting incident, the characters talk about it in such vague and unemotional ways that it was genuinely hard for us to be sure of what degree of assault Sylvia experienced. Keep that in mind, and here's that clip. Roger, I'm very upset. What's upsetting that can't be fixed? Pete's sister has been assaulted and brutally beaten, but I know one of your men is responsible. But if the girl's in a state of shock, how do you know one of my men did it? Who else could it be? There's nobody left in Valley Hills because of your damn dam. Honey, don't take it out on me, huh? I'm sorry. I guess living in a ghost town, so isolated, so alone, it's beginning to get to me. Look. The dam will be completed before you know it. And you'll never be alone again. Oh, it can't be soon enough. That bakery is only open at your request, Mr. Davis. And a good thing, too. When Frank was killed... Hey, hey, hey. We agreed never to discuss the past. Since you heard the plot summary before the clip, you know that Mildred is mistaken. Sylvia was actually assaulted by the members of the Sons and Daughters of Satan, 
a cult of satanic hippies that have made Valley Hills their new stomping ground. In our second clip, a hippie named Rollo gets to be master of ceremonies for a night, and his manner of speech and choice of topic should give you an idea of what the sons and daughters of Satan are all about. Here's that clip. Let it be known that Rollo Yates is supreme ruler of Sados for one night. He can do anything. I can do anything? Demand anything? Uh-huh. Anything. Let it be known that I, Rollo Yates, was created in hell and reborn to this earth. I am the firstborn son of Satan. Therefore, Satan is a black man. Commands my thoughts, and I conjure you in his name to obey me. Satan said there is no fear. If his sons and daughters are willing to suffer for him, to die for him, to kill for him, then there is no fear of pain or blood. Pain and blood are signs of life, not death. Right, Sue. So I said, let us put it to the test. If there is fear among us, then we must get rid of it now. And if there's a cop-off in the group, then he is not a true member of Satan's family. And for our final clip, we have a dialogue-free chunk of the film that features two different pieces of the film's score, both from composer Clay Pitts. Our favorite piece of music from the film, and the most effective one at that, is a little too grating to play here, but if you're curious, I've placed it at the end of the episode as accompaniment to the credits. The two pieces here are very different in mood, but the fact that they play back-to-back -back should tell you quite a bit about the film's overall tone. Here's that clip and we'll see you on the other side for a discussion of I Drink Your Blood.
we are back. We have not done an episode in a while, but based on when you are probably listening to this, it's our Christmas episode, so Merry Christmas, and uh, <laughs> as a gift to you, we have brought back our beloved guest, Josh Benson. Hello, hello. And Carrie is here. Yes, I'd like to say happy holidays. All right, I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm opening it up. But we are celebrating... Christmas uh, with a, <laughs> a movie called I Drink Your Blood, uh, the 1970 uh, exploitation film would probably be the safest genre label for this, uh, but yeah, I Drink Your Blood, 1970 exploitation film from director David E. Durston. Uh, the famous David. Uh, Durston checks in to the Secret Cinema on today's episode, and uh, Josh, you had not seen this before, so what did you think of it? No, I hadn't. I, basically, I saw the trailer. You guys like gave me a few options. I saw the trailer. I instantly picked this one because of how <laughs> terribly bad and awesome it was going to be, and how it's like a low-budget film. It's It has all of the like really moments and i'm really excited for for talking about this so yeah good. It, you're saying it delivered oh yeah yeah it was terribly you great. drank its blood <laughs> i drank your blood i drink your blood carrie what do you think well so, i had only listened to this movie uh i didn't watch it but listened to it and I, for me it, it it was an enjoyable experience yeah I think I, I'm coming to learn that I really like the exploitation genre because the expectations are pretty low. And then if you get to exceed those expectations in any one way, it's a win. Yeah. And so for me, this movie is a win. <laughs> I also drank its blood. Excellent. Okay, we have two blood drinkers. <laughs> I am the third blood drinker on this one. I, uh, yeah, I really like this. I saw this for the first time. Uh, actually, in a movie theater, uh, Odd Obsession hosted a screening of this at the Music Box Theater, and so I get to see it with a full crowd, and I, as far as I know, everybody loves this movie. It's really, it would be really hard to see the title, I Drink Your Blood, and be like, oh, I would love to see this movie, and then watch this and be disappointed. It so totally delivers although, on the type of movie it's, it promises. Although, as we found out, there, nobody drinks blood. Yeah, it's not that, like I thought it was going to be like <laughs> cups and cups of blood, but like, it's more like I, I, I like taste incidentally it. consume yeah. someone's blood. <laughs> something, something's blood. Spoiler alert! It wasn't someone's blood. Well, although there is some uh, blood to blood contact. Yeah, we'll get into it. we'll get into the specific blood transfers that happen in this movie. Um... But if you're thinking this movie is full of goblets of blood, you're wrong. There is a goblet, though. If you remember, there is a the goblet. title, I Drink Your Blood, appears <laughs> over a goblet. It's true. All right, so the, to intro, to start the movie, basically right away, this is not a long movie. It's 83 minutes long. They throw you right into uh, this group of hippies. Uh, <laughs> like, the very 1970 idea of what hippies are. This movie came out right after the Manson family murders. And there's a very clear influence. Like, this I movie... Was, I was thinking about <laughs> it, and this movie has one of those things that doesn't really exist anymore, which is, like, traveling communes. You know, like, in the 70s, that was really big. Like, oh, you get one leader and a guy who has a, a Volkswagen bus, mm -hmm. and then you all pack into the bus, and you just drive around, and you basically, like, you know, live on drugs and... Uh, <laughs> Whatever you can panhandle, and you just go from town to town until you run out of gas, and then you hope somebody is charitable enough 
I was very surprised about how 2017 they were of by by throwing like all the different races in as well. Oh so, yeah, like, an Asian woman, a black guy, it was great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> honestly though, for part of, because they're the we will zoom it out. They are evil hippies. Yeah. It seemed like <laughs> the evil hippies were like these young people who were like a mix of all races, and they come and attack this like town that's all white. So there's like it was cool to see like um like it was one of those things too. I noticed where a lot of women are in the cast, but we could not figure out many of those women's names. <laughs> and so true. it kept doing stuff like that where it's like, is this progressive because these people are in it? Or is it just like, like just in, subtly racist? I think it's whoever they could get. That's what I, I saw. It's like I, yeah, anybody they could get. This is also a big thing with exploitation films and like low budget films of this era is that they, it's not, there's not, like, the big studio mainstream pressures of, like, you have to have, like, this type of white guy in the movie. It's like, yeah, literally any person who's interested in acting can audition for exploitation movie, as long as you're willing to, like, say, in this movie's example, play with animal corpses and, <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. Which is Oof. definitely something uh, a, more than one actor had to do <laughs> in this movie. Oh, I but, shouldn't laugh. It wasn't but, funny. <laughs> but, okay, so there's this cult... And they are led by this man named Horace Bones, uh, who <laughs> played by an actor credited... Horace Bones sounds like he's got a polka band somewhere. I thought it was Horse Bones for a while. <laughs> they didn't say it clearly. It made more sense. But Horace Bones is played by an actor who's credited as Bhaskar. Uh, yeah, Bhaskar Rowe... Uh, Roy Chowdhury? Chowdhury? Yeah. But in the mo- on the movie's credits, they only credit his first name. And Horace Bones leads a group of... I didn't count exactly how many hippies there were. There were eight. There's eight of them. And they open with him doing like a, a, like a satanic ritual. He says, I am the first but born son of Satan. First butt son of Satan. First butt son of Satan. <laughs> Let it be known, brothers and sisters, that Satan was an acid head. Now drink up and we will all freak out. And so it's like this satanic acid ritual where they're all naked out in the woods. You can see Horace's pubes as he's like giving the speech. Yeah, what um, a good first shot. Yeah, the, the first pubes of the first shot. The literal first shot is a the camera panning up from a fire, like a close-up on a fire, up Horace's body, and he has a sword that's like in the ground that's positioned in front of his penis, but you can see his pubes, you see his like six-pack goes up to his face and then he starts talking and then he does this speech and they all have like the goblet that we mentioned before he grabs the goblet all of the nude hippies drink out of it and they're all tripping on acid but as this is happening and this is all happening on, under the opening credits there's this girl who we who later we find out her name is Sylvia and she is watching this through the trees and the satanic hippies, they get a live chicken and they kill it. And it is a real chicken being really killed on screen. Uh, yeah. So you get to watch it, uh, watch the chicken choke on its own blood. Uh, very, I mean, we watched the X-rated uncensored cut. So this is like very, like we went for the true exploitation grindhouse experience. And so they kill the chicken, they, they cut its neck and then the head is like, limply hanging off and then this is would that kind of thing be cut out of like an r-rated version well that's the thing is remember when we watched southern comfort and southern comfort has a pig being slaughtered on screen and then apocalypse now has cattle being slaughtered on screen this is very much like in the era as gruesome as this is 
it was not that gruesome at the time. Like, it was shocking. It's like, all oh, these Satanists are sacrificing animals. But it was like, two in America were more than 50% of the population had probably killed a chicken or watched someone kill the chicken sure. for food at some point. So yeah. it's not as horrific. Um, so yeah, they, uh, they, they see Sylvia and then Sylvia tries to run away, but they grab her and bring her back. And then it cuts to like the next morning and... Uh, Sylvia like wanders out of the woods beaten it's I know they never say that she was raped but it's like pretty clearly the implication it doesn't help that everybody that was in the acid circle was naked when they were attacking her so the assumption is there but it's yeah it's never outright stated well and there's a weird thing to it because one of the the hippies is this guy named Andy who I think looks like the 70s version of Taryn Killam. <laughs> but Andy, they, he says, like, he invited her. Like, she's like, oh, Sylvia, he's a girl I met in town. I invited her here. And then he has a whole plot line with her through the rest of the movie that seems where both him, and, both Andy and Sylvia seem to ignore Sylvia being beaten and or raped. So it's really hard to, to figure out what exactly She definitely happened. doesn't hold it against yeah, him that really the doesn't. group of people he's traveling with, you know, uh, assaulted her. At least stabbed. Yeah, like. yeah at least <laughs> assaulted her, yeah, for sure. The movie, yeah. Because she stumbles out of the woods and she's like laying on the gravel. Did and she get her... Like, does she get dosed maybe too? I think she did, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. They never, but yeah, again, they don't even specify that. Yeah. It's like super vague, uh, and they even don't even know that it's hippie related. She doesn't even mention the hippies right away, so they think it's like the people working on the dam. Let's mention this real quickly. So, the movie takes place in this city called Valley Hills. I don't know what state Valley Hills is in, but at one point we see the sign Valley, Valley Hills. Hills, and it says population 4,000, and they cross out 4,000, it says 40. And so Valley Hills is this town where they're putting in a dam, and so most of the town's population is gone. Like, it seems like they... Well, yeah, reduced by, what, 100%? <laughs> Well, and that's not forty yeah. from yeah. It would it would be that would be four ninety nine percent. But um, the town has been decimated by this dam construction project. So there's barely any people there. Like we we see that the grandpa lives somewhere, and there's this bakery owned by this woman named Mildred. And she says the police have requested that she stay open, presumably so that people who work in the town have some place Basically, to Basically, the construction workers. Yeah. The like, police need their donuts. And the poli- well, they don't make donuts, though. They make but the pies. police are eight miles away. Yeah, the police are eight miles away, Gary. You gotta pay attention to this stuff. I'm just saying it's a bakery. Maybe she makes donuts. Meat pies only. At Meat pies bakery. only. But, uh... So, <laughs> at, so Mildred's Meat Pie Bakery uh, is where Sylvia wanders up to, and Mildred is there, and Pete is there, and... Is Pete Sylvia's little brother? Yes. Yes. Okay. But, so, the, the thing I was saying about Valley Hills, though, is that this whole movie, this whole movie has, like, when you hear us get through it, it has a very kind of silly plot and a lot of that is tied to the fact that for this plot to happen at all uh at least in this low budget way that it does the movie has to take place in a ghost town <laughs> like it very much needs to take place in a ghost town where there's only one source of food and there is no contact with the outside world and basically there's no vehicles or people passing through or anything like it literally like and it just it, it happens very casually but it's hilarious 
the extent to which they have to like yeah they of, like underline yeah like the hotel is abandoned there's no one there you can just live in whatever empty house you want like all that sort of stuff that they plays do a lot of setup yeah they basically set up the town as if it's ready for a zombie attack mm-hmm. yeah the hippies come and then they eventually take over the abandoned hotel yep. that's infested with rats and oh gosh and then they have that rat hunt <laughs> and rat barbecue they said they would do it and they did. They delivered. <laughs> yeah, the, the again, there this is another scene where so the hippies yeah, the hippies pick the hotel to stay in and Pete, the boy, is like, There's a bunch of rats in there and it's haunted and they go and they cuts to this like montage of all the hippies just like smashing windows and doors and killing rats supposedly, but it mostly looks like they're just like destroying the, the hotel. And then Rollo or Rollo, uh, who is he is the black hippie. There's the only one. Yeah, that's, that's who he is. Yeah. He's the token black hippie. Uh, he kills the most rats, and he like comes out of like the, the the attic of the hotel with like this like weird like skewer full of rats. I don't like know five rats. It's yeah. Least. It's like they're hanging. It's like some. It's like almost like it's a French press like, that he had. Like the, well, it's kind of like a rat rem- bouquet. Yeah, <laughs> a rat bouquet. It kind of reminded me of. When you go fishing and you have that line yeah. that you can sit, like uh, sew through the fish so they stay on the line. Mm-hmm. Did you ever do that? No. My <laughs> so grandpa stay, made me do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they stay in gross. the water. Yeah. yeah, you sew it through their uh, gill, right? Mm-hmm. And then you through their mouth and they, they can't leave the rope. And so you can leave it in the water, but they can't leave the rope so they yeah. stay alive. Yeah. Sounds right. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like that, but for rats. (laughs) But so they take over the hotel and they have a rat barbecue. But it's clear that they're they're going to be staying at. Well, and they also say like whoever uh, whoever kills Kills the most most rats rats. is in charge for the night. So Rallo inherits the role of supreme ruler of status, which is what which is what uh, Horace calls it. But um, anyway, so once it's it's nighttime and Rallo is now in charge and telling them what they want to do. They decide to do some sort of ritual that is never clearly explained, but is clearly supposed to be satanic, where they take this guy, Philip, and they... No, it's Shelly. Oh, Shelly, sorry. Um, well, this guy named Shelly... Poor Shelly. They tie him down, and they cut his feet, and when they cut his feet, he immediately passes out. But then they, like, tie him up from the ceiling, not in a way that kills him, but just in a way where he's suspended from the ceiling, and they push him around so that his blood, like, drips aimlessly all over the floor, and they just kind of watch their it. Faces. And faces. Their faces. Yeah. And, uh... They even do reaction shots for everybody getting the blood <clears throat> splatter on their <clears throat> face. The <clears throat> only one who seemed super into it was the uh, Asian woman. Yeah. yeah. What was her name? Sue, Sue Lynn. Lynn. And Sue also Lynn. during the scene, there's one of the most explicit ties to the Manson family stuff, which is that Shelly, before, when he's saying, like, you guys are going to kill me and everything, uh, like, I'm not an animal, and uh, they write pig on his body, which, if you remember, that's something the Manson family wrote on the walls of their crime scenes in blood. Oh, I didn't pig. know that. Yeah, even at the Sharon Tate crime scene, it's, like, on the door, and that was the year before this came yeah. out. So it's, like, blatantly being, like, it's the exploitation thing of, like, well, mainstream America, it's, it would be too tasteless to make a movie about this now. But exploitation people, they just want to see gore. Yeah. And what's gorier than a cult murdering a bunch of innocent yeah. people? They write pig in, in lipstick. They too. write it in lipstick instead of blood, but it's still like... It's yeah. like the it's same... It's a nice touch. It's the same like writing. Like, if you look at it, it's, it's clearly evocative of that. It's pointedly evocative of that. 
Which, I gotta say, poor Shelly, because, so they cut his feet up after they tie him up, and then they hang him from the ceiling. But before that, remember, they left him sleeping in the car, and then they pushed the car down the hill? Yeah, they just fucked with Shelly. <laughs> Shelly basically, uh, gets the short end of the stick. Though, he, uh, jumping, I mean, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but Shelly gets off easier than most of the other. Yeah, movies. he doesn't get, uh, he doesn't get rabies. No, spoiler, Carrie. Um, hey. uh, so... So they're doing this blood dripping from Shelly's feet ritual, and uh, that's when the grandpa, the, the grandfather of Sylvia and Pete shows up at the hotel with a shotgun to basically, uh, I don't know what he's exactly planning to do, but he's going to confront them, and the hippies beat him up, and then they drug him with LSD, and they're going to kill him. They're clearly about to murder him. But Pete is outside going, Grandpa! Grandpa! Yelling. And um, the the uh, Rollo and Horace try to capture the kid. But the, for whatever reason, the grandpa gets enough energy to leave. And so they all... All the hippies just decide to let them both leave for some reason. But right when that happens, when uh, the, the boy and the grandpa are, like, hobbling off, one of the hippie women says... Come back real soon, and right after that, there's a howl, like a loud, like almost like comical howling sound effect. And after that happens, it cuts to uh, a character we've never seen, but will be very important shortly, a dog. A rabid dog. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, uh, i trying to think how this exactly plays out. I believe what happens is they get Grandpa back to... And his, he's, his house he's tripping he's, on LSD. He's like, tripping hard. He's holding the salt and pepper shakers to his head. Like, he has like yeah, he horns. looks like the the devil. He's mm-hmm. covered in blood, and he just looks messy. And he's like, oh, oh. and so the, the they're they're saying like, what's wrong with him? And Sylvia says they have him on that LSD that they're always on, something like that. And Pete says <laughs> he's been doped with LSD. Yeah, he's been doped with that LSD. And Pete says, what do you think they do with that L? What do you call it? And he looks directly into the camera. Like, it's like the most like PSA drug moment of the movie. It's the only moment like that. But uh, so after this happens, where they're like they've attacked Sylvie, they've just attacked Grandpa. So Pete is angry and he wants revenge. So Pete uh, gets a sh- the, his, da- his Grandpa's shotgun, puts some shots in it, and then gets a flashlight and wanders outside immediately runs into the rabbit dog and shoots it. And then there's one of those moments where he shoots a dog and it cuts where he's like, he's like been teleported back inside the house. It's such a bizarre cut. And, um, Sylvia's like, what were you doing? What were you shooting out there? And he's like, ah, it's just a rabbit dog. Whatever. And, uh, he he says, he says, I may not know about the L stuff that makes you crazy, but I know about rabies. Yeah. <laughs> but he also lies to Sylvia about whether or not it's dead. He says, like, oh, I think I got it, but wandered off. But um, He definitely killed it. He definitely killed it. <laughs> yeah, he because, was so close to it. Because he goes to the bakery after that and collects, I think it's the bakery, I have no idea where he goes, but he gets, like... I think he went to his, because Grandpa's a vet. Oh, Grandpa's a vet, okay. Oh, yeah. That's why. So he, he wants to go to all he, the medical stuff. That's goes, why he wants to be a vet. He goes and gets the IV bag and the blood pump and all this stuff and syringes, and then he takes all this stuff to the dog's, the rabid dog's corpse, and he sucks a bunch of blood with the syringe 
out of the dog. It's pretty pretty uh, high tech what he does. Yeah, it's like a very yeah, Peter's like twelve. Uh, yeah, yeah, very young. He looks like he looks like our friend Kyle Serma if he was twelve. But he uh, he's got like blonde sandy hair, and he's a little he's got um uh, he's he's pretty short, and he's wearing like a Andy Griffith type like polo shirt. Yeah, and he always is is like, but what does that mean? Or what a, what does that do? You know, he's very innocent. Except, uh, apparently he knows how to extract blood out of a dead dog. Yeah, he's really great. Um, <laughs> but so he, he, he does that, and then he goes to the bakery the next morning, and Mildred is setting pies out, and he's like, hey, I can help take care of the pies, uh, uh, but you should make some extra ones because those people are going to be coming in, and when uh, the, the hippies from the hotel are going to be coming in. So Mildred goes off to the kitchen, and while she's not paying attention, uh, Pete <laughs> takes a, one of the trays of meat pies and injects rabies dog rabies blood <laughs> into all of them. And very, almost immediately after that, Rollo, uh, a woman that Sweet. we can only call uh, the mute. The, the, oh, is it the mute? I thought it was sexy, slutty oh, yeah, hippie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Was what like, was her name? Slutty hippie. Hip, slutty yeah. hippie. Uh, curvy hippie, maybe. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, she, her, Rollo, and Sue Lin show up and Pete is like giving them the hard sell on the pies. They're like, I don't want pies for breakfast. We just had them last night. And he, and pies Pete for says, breakfast. The meat pies are ready now. Hot. Right out of the oven. He's like very like clearly <laughs> he must suspicious. Eat now. He's like really, he's really blowing his load. Yeah. He's like not not hiding it. And at then all. and he's like, I'll give you. You can have all of them. Twenty five cents a piece if you buy them all. And they're like, All right, sure. And uh, which Mildred, what a good deal. That's yeah. three dollars for a dozen meat. That's pies. a lot. Yeah. Mildred made meat pies. Mildred tries to box them up, and he's like, No, no, I'll box them up. I. He's like clearly he has a plan, and we couldn't <laughs> even buy pasties for that cheap. No. But, so, they take the meat pies, and they all go back and eat them. Everyone except for Andy, Taryn Killam. And I don't uh, think Shelly eats them either. Well, Shelly... He's still, like, passed out on the counter with his oh, food Oh, yeah, yeah, Shelly... Yeah, Shelly's still passed out <laughs> for some reason. He's, like, really... Maybe he's just dripping. That's another thing, too, is that the implication the movie makes is that we only see them take acid once, but it's heavily implied that they're, like always on acid <laughs> like whether so, they're, whether they're just crazy from acid or rabies they're always crazy throughout the yeah so shelly is presumably presumably uh sleeping because he's tripping or on some sort of drugs people who made this don't necessarily know what acid is yeah. like that's or what, what it does that's or... what it does all right so yeah you can't can you just take acid like all day every day no uh you acid it has like a i don't want to say half-life because that's not the right word but Essentially, it has a halfway system where you have to wait a, a while before you can take it up again. You can't just re up unless you're taking like heroic doses. But then you would be you'd be so fucked up. I don't even think you could be dosed with rabies because you would be like well, losing your mind already by that point. And then reality doesn't even exist. Yeah. <laughs> but so anyway, so they take the meat pies back and all the hippies eat them and they very quickly start having like gurgly stomach and they're like, something was up. We definitely got bad pies. That's why they're trying to offload them on us. And Horace Bones ended up eating two meat pies. Yeah. So he's... he's he was already crazy. He's really freaking out. So they are the devil's cramps at this point. And <laughs> they... 
This okay, so this is where it's getting really crazy. Wait, before we move on, I just want to say that the Devil's Cramps would be a great female punk band. <laughs> that's yeah, like, this that's is like, like how there's that movie though about the older women's basketball team called the Hot Flashes. Where it's, uh, like, not, it's not as cool when it's actually put into practice. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, this is like the turning point of the movie, where like the first half of the movie is all set up. Yeah. And then this is where it's like, oh shit, shit is about to get real. Like rabies has been introduced yep. into the into I drinking your blood. So, <laughs> so really quickly before we, since we're about to get in the rabies section, I did some rabies research during this. And, uh, obviously this movie is not trying to be accurate. <laughs> so, it, it does get some things wrong about rabies, but... How fast so, does rabies happen? So, according to, uh, whatever internet thing I looked at, <laughs> so it could be wrong. <laughs> in all fairness. But it said that for humans, after uh, humans are in contact with rabies-infected blood, it takes 4 to 12 weeks for symptoms to develop. So oh, not shit! So not, not instantaneous. So, yeah, not, not, hours. not a matter of hours. <laughs> well, and if you're if you remember sometimes, yeah, the construction workers, yeah. it's like yeah. So with with rabies, when symptoms do develop in humans, there is either paralytic rabies, which you literally just go into a coma and then die, oh, or shit. furious rabies, as the thing <laughs> I read called it, which have symptoms of insomnia. Anxiety, confusion, agitation, hallucinations, excess salivation, problem swallowing, and fear of water. It's an actual thing. And when I looked up, I wanted to look up fear of water because we'll get into this, but the movie has certain ideas of what fear of water means. <laughs> and um, fear, of, fear of water, in at least in the medical thing that I read, states that, okay, uh, this is the only way I can think of to describe it, but... If you've seen Killing of a Sacred Deer, uh, one of the parts of that is that the, the children lose the ability to eat. And so when they try to, like, hand them food, they're like, no, no, keep it away from my mouth. And it's like that with water, where you, like, present something to drink and they're like, I don't want to drink it. And they have excess salivation, so their mouth is constantly filling with liquid and foaming, so it's hard to, like, make them drink because they already have stuff uh. in their mouth. And they have problems swallowing, so even if you do get them to get something in their mouth... It won't go down. So it's not necessarily a fear. It's more of an aversion. It's like an inability to consume water. Sure. But combined with the fact that, like I said, agitation, confusion, hallucination, you're probably going like, ah, ah, <laughs> well, they're trying to get water in, so it probably comes across like, wow, they're really scared. That's what and, you sounded like when we watched Imprint. Well, and keep in mind, this is like 1970, so people probably did think that it was this way. To yeah, rabies used to be like a bigger problem. Like, yeah. like watch out. You might get, you gotta get your rabies shot this It's year. like polio yeah exactly but, you know. well the thing i read said that i mean again right this could be wrong <laughs> but it said that yearly worldwide fifty nine thousand people die from rabies no way so it's like and it's a worldwide so they're probably oh, worldwide, worldwide. Okay. but it's, it still was like wow that's way bigger of a number than i would have thought yeah geez but it says it said also if you catch rabies like, if, if you get bit by a wild animal and you go to a doctor and you're like, I think I have rabies, you can get cured. Yeah. Uh, but once you have the symptoms of rabies and, like, to the extent where it's like, oh, they have rabies, they said death is about two to ten days after symptoms. Oh, shit. Yeah. So it is, uh, it's still... So if you start showing symptoms, can you still get cured? I couldn't tell. This oh, was, like, okay. a quick read-over. So possibly... 
it's it's possible if it's a disease if you can beat back the disease before it does permanent damage then i would it seems likely but spoiler that's not how they get yeah, uh, <laughs> all right so now that we now that we've talked about how rabies is in the real world let's talk about how it is in this movie well because... i imagine everything we described about the rabies symptoms plus doing hard drugs yeah and that's what the movie is playing at is the idea that like so imagine you are on, you have rabies. You're rabid. You're crazy. You're freaking out. And then you're also on drugs. So it's it kind of seems I, to me, honestly, it seemed a little redundant. <laughs> it seems like they didn't need to be on acid. Also, like, ra- like they're already fudging what rabies is. It might as well. But whatever. It, it, like it didn't it didn't hurt the movie. It was just like yeah. It was kind of a weird, vague commentary on LSD without being a critical commentary on mm-hmm. LSD. Mm-hmm. It was more equating LSD to a, a disease that spreads quickly. Yeah. Or like, just once you start, you can't stop. Oh. Or like something like where they're like, well, clearly we know people who do acid and they don't murder people. So we don't want yeah. to just say acid causes murder. <laughs> we don't want this to be an anti-drug exploitation movie. So being a drug person means you'll get tricked into having rabies. Like, it seems like that. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's very vague. But again, like I said, with the whole setup of the town, this like weird ghost town, the point is just to create everything that we're describing from here on out, which is uh, they all the hippies kind of get rabies slowly in their own way. Like there's no consistency to the initial breakout. But the main thing is that Sue Lin is starting to get rabies too and she's like playing with the tarot cards and she sees the death card and she flips it towards Rollo and Rollo just that's when he goes like he he permanently snaps and so uh Shelly and this is nighttime so (laughs) Shelly he's been passed out for like 24 hours yeah it's like ridiculously long time and so Rollo goes over to Shelly and Shelly's still in the same place Shelly is laying on a table, and right over his head is a sign that says, we are open for the high holidays. <laughs> it seems very <laughs> intentional. Uh, but Rollo comes up to him and grabs like a sac- the sacrificial dagger they used to cut open his feet, and then just stabs Shelly to death. Ten and times. Ten times. And everybody watches. Everyone watches, and you can tell that they're like freaked out, but they're also rabid, so it's like, that's like the bad thing that causes their trip to go crazy, man. Like that sort of <laughs> moment. Because I remember there's a lot of shots of people, like, staring slack-jawed as they, like, walk, like, they back away from it, but not like, Rollo, what are you doing? Like, no one can talk anymore, (laughs) or it seems like. And then, um, after- That's one of the things that they, they kind of perpetuate in the movie, is that if you are tripping on LSD, you can't talk. Yeah. Because, like, Sylvia doesn't talk, the grandpa doesn't talk, once all the people go crazy on, on, with rabies- on rabies. <laughs> they don't talk. Yeah, and it, well, it's inconsistent, too, because, like, some of the women can talk, but they're, like, their level of rabies, like, they seem to have, like, a rabies, like, a t- to use the expression, rabies Mary, like, a typhoid Mary. Like, they kind of do that with some of the, like, one with slutty uh, hippie. <laughs> so oh, they kind of yeah. do with her. But point is, Rollo is super crazy, and then Horace goes super crazy, and Rollo, after he stabs Shelly to death, cuts off Shelly's leg, and then he starts chasing Slutty Hippie around <laughs> with the leg, and this leads to, I, I, I'm gonna have to, like, kind of set some stuff up to lead to this, but this, there's a, a line of dialogue that I thought was super crazy. Um, so, 
Rollo is chasing Slutty Hippie. I'm so sorry we're calling her Slutty Hippie because I don't want to be derogative, but I genuinely, we cannot figure out her name and her main asset in the movie is that she has cleavage, she wears like a tight dress with like a short... We can uh, call her Loose Hippie. Loose Hippie. That's why I said Curvy Hippie. <laughs> it's like the, that she implies was, sexuality. She was really curvy. But, but at the same time, great. we call her Slutty Hippie because she, she gets gangbanged eventually. Yeah. Uh, she was trying to. Consensually gangbanged. Yeah. Like, somehow. Well, and it can be argued because she was under the influence of hard drugs. Yes. And she also had rabies. That's true. Uh, so it's, <laughs> her it's, rabies didn't come through till after, though. <laughs> and again, like I said, she's rabies Mary. She doesn't seem to have, like, she's not going like, when the guy gangbanger she's like oh boys keep me safe let's yeah. like what she says she says come on rats i have some cheese for you yeah. she's like shaking her boobs at them that seems pretty consensual uh yeah. but in between her running away and her meeting these guys who gangbang her uh there's i think somebody i want to say it's mildred or one of the people gets in touch with roger who is like this police guy. He is the head of engineering for the dam okay, that they're building. Yeah, he's head of engineering. I remember that because he says the line, rape is a little out yeah, of an engineer's domain. That. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right, yeah. But so they get Roger, and they Roger tells some of his men from the dam to go check on Mildred, because he's been calling, and he hasn't been able to get her on the phone. And he and, thinks something's wrong. And he thinks something's and wrong. And he, kno- he knows that the hippies came to town. And he knows the hippies came to town. Because, he- actually, what something we didn't mention earlier, this was one of my favorite scenes, is Mildred, the woman who runs the bakery, she goes to visit Roger because... She thinks he can do something to help about the hippies. And she greets him by saying, I know you've got problems, but so do I. We've got to talk. And, <laughs> and uh, also, they're talking, and it's clear that they, they're they dating or they're in a relationship. Yeah. And, uh, they have and no what, chemistry. <laughs> yeah, they have no chemistry. Well, partially, I'll, I'll get into why. But one of the things that Roger says is, we agreed to never talk about our past. <laughs> Something's bad. Something bad. Their relationship is is mystifying. But Roger, actually, the reason I wanted to point out him in the movie is he is the longtime companion of the director. Oh, that was the word that was used on IMDb. Um, so I don't know if they were partners just in movies uh, or what, but. He's in a lot of David E. Durston's movies. Well, you know how they say that Tom Hanks was the longtime companion of Steven Spielberg. <laughs> so, yeah, it could be a gay thing. It could not be. It could, yeah, you never know. Um, but, so, <laughs> the, that I, I I remembered that I was trying to set up something. Uh, which, so, so uh, Roger is worried about Mildred. He knows the hippies are in town. And he knows that violence is happening. So he tells a bunch of his men from the dam to drive into town and go check it out. So the guys from the dam, again, and none of these guys have names. Like, So we're just going to be like guy number one or, or two at best. The, uh, a truck full of these guys, they're driving, and uh, uh, a <laughs> loose hippie <laughs> is, like, comes out of the grass, and she like sexily waves the truck down, 
And they're like, she's like, hey, can you give me a ride to Valley Hills? And they're like, sure, what are you doing out here? And she says, some black creep was following me. And, she, and that line, that line really stuck out to me because she knows who Rollo is. She's in with Rollo. She knows like, that they will be like, oh, we'll help you. Yeah, exactly. So is it, in that moment, is she being like, oh, you racist white guys protect me from this, like, black monster? Is that, is that like, weirdly, like, she's, like, intentionally trying to, like, stoke their racism or is she is it because she's tripping that she like forgot who he was or like what like i mean he is a creep he is a creep because he he chopped someone's leg off and tries to hurt people with but it. also <laughs> remember that she's not like some some black creep is chasing me she's like oh some black creep is chasing me <laughs> yeah. like he has he has a leg of the man he murdered and she's like <laughs> this fucking black dude like the most important part is that he's black in that line yeah. and that's what was so weird there's, or there's no other like overt dialogue or racism in the movie <laughs> except for that one moment and it's not a moment where it's like oh the movie is racist it's like is is loose woman racist right now? It's so weird to me. But anyway, the men gangbang her <laughs> soon after this. They go, because for whatever reason, they pick her up, and then they drive her back to the place where she just saw Rollo murder a guy. And she seems fine to go there, but once she gets to the door, they're, like, gonna go in and check it out, and she's like, you're not gonna leave me out here, are you? Which, I was like, why didn't she just stay with them? I don't understand that. But she says, um, that's when she says the, like, come on, rats, I got some cheese for you. And, like, it's heavily alluded to that they, like, walk, like, around the, what's the it called? House. The house to, like, just, like, the side of the front balcony and have a gangbang there. Like, she fucks all three of them. So, something happens, they don't show it. Uh, this is the type of exploitation movie, and again, bringing back the gay director thing, where the women are never objectified, despite the, despite the fact that they are, like, constantly naked or gangbanging, or, like, there's a lot of opportunity for that, and it's always about, like, these, like, sweaty men's bodies. Yeah. Like, so many chests <laughs> and six-packs. It's really awesome. It's like, you never see it. It's always, like, well, like, none of the women really look very um, attractive. I mean, Lynn, they're all sweaty. And, yeah, Lynn Lowry looks the best, but she her character's on mute. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's not important that an attractive woman is like an important character. And we see a bunch of other characters' boobs, but not like the attractive character. Also, like I said, it's an exploitation movie. This is a couple of years before Last House on the Left came out, which is Wes Craven's date, like big breakthrough where a woman is like brutally raped and then her parents get revenge and this movie opens with a rape that may or may not have even happened because the movie is not interested in like that no the rabies is the most important thing the, in the movie and, and like i'm just thinking like there's so many like think about like brain damage we talked about this with basket case or basket case has the scene where Belial, the mutant Siamese twin, rapes the corpse of the main character's girlfriend. Uh. And it's like, this movie, it's so weird to see an exploitation movie that is nicer overall to the women and then is like constantly objectifying men's chests. It's like a very, very interesting touch. But, um, so anyway, uh, where are we? We're in the, she just gangbanged the first three guys and then I think... They take her back yeah, to like their construction They take loose... Bunker? Loose hippie Back to like dormitory, the, the, yeah, the the damatory, I guess. <laughs> and then she like gangbangs. Nice. Oh, she, that was really yeah, good. Right, okay. uh, but she gangbangs like eight more guys. And the way they play the scene, there's like this moment where 
it's clear like she's got rabies brain or something right as they start but then she like cut back to her and she seems to be like actively into it and then it cuts later back to her and she has like a freak out and she runs into the shower and hides and and they're like they follow her in and one of the guys is like can't you leave her alone can't you see she's she's having a spaz out or something like that and he's like women (laughs) and he's like i know i'll do to her i'll spray the water on her and it's like they don't know she has rabies it's like again it's like it's not a movie where the men are like let's rape this bitch or something like that it's like let's spray water on her (laughs) she she gangbanged all this she's being weird let's hose her down and then so the next time we see Loose Woman, she is dead in a canyon. Like she has fallen off a cliff or something. Wait, you skipped ahead. Well, I know. I'm just saying, like, to wrap up what's what's happening with her. I know, but there's the part where he sprays water at her, and she is literally freaking out. Like, yeah. Ah, water. She got ah! hydrophobia. She is rabies. Yeah, girl. That's where we get into the movie thinking that hydrophobia is like actually being touched by water freaks out people <laughs> uh, and it, it is it is used to a pretty hilarious degree i mean like the spraying of water happens multiple times um yeah actually so basically the key thing we kind of i kind of glazed over this but with rabies in case you don't know rabies is transferred through blood or like contact it's very if this movie had been made 15 years later there would be an hiv parallel like, Ooh, yeah. definitely in this movie. Yeah. But because this is before AIDS, it's just, yeah, whatever. You get you get this and who cares? You're, <laughs> you deserve what you get with rabies. And so all of the damn guys that have sex with loose hippie, they all get rabies. They all get super crazy rabies. And that's why I say, like, loose hippie is dead, but they don't show how she... I, I It's presumed that, like... They all get rabies and they murder her. This movie's really unconcerned yeah. with tying loose ends. Yeah. It's like, yeah, whatever, move on. She's dead. dead. All, that's right. the loose end the movie cares about is like one less person in the movie. So One less person in the town because there's 40 yeah. people in this town. We yeah. see about 75% of them. Yeah. yeah. And so the, the guy... It's like, and well, 38 of them work at the dam. Yeah. But Roger and two of the, the dam guys... Uh, like the damn guys take Roger to where Loose Hippie's body is, and then they 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 walk back on the road they were on, and they they're like, look over there, and it, like they point at the the damnatory. That's what other word do we have for it? <laughs> and there's like a crazy like a guy with his shirt open, and he's got foam on his mouth. He has like long blonde hair, and he's holding a machete, and he's like running at them from the damnatory. Well, like not the that fast at all. Not fast at all, but in a way where it's like, oh, this guy fucking crazy and they like very slowly lower the gun and shoot him at the last moment and after they shoot him they're like the one of the guys with roger is like yeah we gotta call a state of emergency Someone's gonna like, they don't react to what happened at all like they have not killed any people at this point in the movie and this it was like a very easy crossover but then after that, another guy with like similar shirtlessness and foamy mouth and a mach- another machete. I don't know where these guys are. A lot of machetes. You Which have is- to use a lot of machetes to build dams. Yeah. You know, that's like if you think about beavers, their teeth are the machetes. So they're. It's a wood dam. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so they. <laughs> that's they, why they need like 40 workers to but, build it. But Roger and the, the two dam guys see the workers, like all. Every worker that 
was gangbanging loose hippie from the night before now has like full blown foaming at the mouth shirtless rabies and they all have, they all either have this is so funny to me they all have either machetes or their yellow construction yeah. helmets. They're swinging and so they're all doing the same like swinging motion but you see shots where like extras are just like hitting flowers with their hats because they're like I guess this is what a guy with rabies and a helmet would do um but they all that seems like a part where nowadays you could answer a Craigslist ad and be that part. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I would totally be that part. When I was that, I was a racist cop in that movie in Chicago. I totally could have gotten rabid uh, helmet guy. <laughs> so easy. But the so Roger and the damn guys see all the rabid workers rushing out of the dormitory at them, and they're like, "Yeah, let's go. Let's walk back to the quarry. It'll be safer here." And they like say it about that casually as this like group of men sprint at them with weapons. So they they. Re- Treat and uh, oh man, I just realized I skipped over. Uh, I skipped over all the stuff with uh, mutant. The, well, and with Andy and Sylvia because Andy and Sylvia and Pete are running around. We gotta ra- we gotta wrap up one loose end before yeah. we can move to another loose yeah, end. Okay. And maybe we should give Josh a chance. Yeah, sorry, Josh. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> well, what do we guys want to talk about? I think we should touch <laughs> on the pregnant lady because she's like a weird tangential character that ends up not mattering at all. No. She's, and, she's supposedly holding Horace's baby, Horace Bones, well, a, a.k.a. the devil. Is she holding maybe. Horace's bones or is Horace's bones? <laughs> <laughs> I guess technically she that's true because yeah. the baby has bones. But, oh, there you go. Um, so many bone jokes to me. Um, but she says she's holding the devil's baby. Which I thought he was the devil, but maybe for a night he's he was. the son of the devil, but then they, like, trade places sometimes and some other people are the devil. We're all the devil, I guess. Yeah. That whole group, the Sados, as they call them, um, it's hard to tell. But anyway, the pregnant lady, who's clearly not pregnant. Yeah, her and the mute eventually get cut off from the rest of the group. Yeah. And for some reason, the pregnant lady is wearing a wig, which she takes off at least Multiple three times. times. Yeah. So why was she wearing the wig? Also, the wig was so close to her actual hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just more hair. <laughs> and they make a point to say, like, how hot it is. And then she's wearing a wig. Oh, my God. Wigs are so hot. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and, like I said, she's clearly not pregnant. She's wearing a pillow of some sort. Yeah. And or it she... changes shape half the time, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they couldn't afford a prosthetic belly. No. But they, oh. but they're wandering around and they find this woman with her like no reason for the scene at all <laughs> except for they they eventually they they wander into this woman's house and she's like oh you must be hungry you've been wandering around the woods and they're like yeah give us food and then that's the point where mute girl we don't know her name right her name's Carrie Carrie yeah yeah it is okay well then Carrie she then finds out she has rabies randomly this is. Maybe seven hours after she's... No, this is way longer. This well, is... have you noticed that at the moment where they walk up to the house where that la- that nice lady lives, there's over-narration uh, where they're talking about how people who have rabies are very affected by the color red. Oh, yeah, and the and red it, deck was there. Yeah, the red deck was there, and then she's the, the nice lady is cutting a ham, and the ham is, like, pink and red. And then she has, like, reddish wallpaper, or at least, like, yeah. a, like bright orange. It's yeah. It's, like, very, it's radiant r- Yeah, wallpaper. but you're right. I think it's, like, however many hours after. There's no, there's no 
rhyme or reason why why we get rabies and why it's 12 hours as opposed to 24 hour <laughs> like instant rabies. Yeah, some people go like straight to rabies and some people it's more of like a slow burn. Yeah. Yeah. But then she she feels the burn of the rabies red around her and uh, sees the electric knife that the woman is cutting the meat with and turns it on and we all know what's coming after yeah. once she turns it on. She I don't know, she could have cut her head off, could have, but it was a, a, her hand, and supposedly she had been... That, we never see that woman. Yeah, that, yeah, again, that, another woman, that woman cuts her hand... Yeah, they cut her hand off, and then they're like, okay, I guess we gotta leave. Let's keep wandering around but the woods. The mute girl doesn't I mean, appear in the yeah. movie ever again no. after yeah. that. So who knows what happened to her? She's still wandering around to this day. Probably. <laughs> I just hand, wanna, yeah. I want to say, if I invited strangers into my house to feed them, which is not something I'm inclined to do in the first place, but let's say that I'm feeling particularly generous, I invite these strange women into my house, and I use an electric carver to cut them some ham, if one of them grabs the electric carver and is looking at me please, and then looking at the that. carver and then looking at me and then looking at the carver, I think I'd be a little uh, more cautious. I'd probably back away a little bit. Also, what was that woman doing in that town? Like, there was 40 people in that well, town. That, that relates to where we eventually find Horace Bones, and he's he's off in his own world doing his own thing. And and he finds a snake, which yes. Then, oh, the yeah. snake farmer. There's no. There's okay. So he finds a sign that's like admission twenty five cents giant boa constrictor where every word is misspelled. Snake every the, word in snake the end was backwards. Constrictor spelled with like multiple K's. The, uh, teach, the teachers left that that town a while ago. Yeah. yeah, it's just damn employees, the bakery, and that's it. No a teachers. snake keeper though. But so, maybe that's why Pete was so stupid. Maybe, yeah. but Horace. Runs up, runs up into this guy's yard, and he has this giant boa constrictor in a cage. And at this point, every animal that has appeared on screen has been murdered. So really, the first time I watched this, I was like, "Oh, he's gonna eat the boa constrictor, or yeah. he's gonna cut its head off, or something." And then he just stares at it, picks it up, like looks at it. He has like an acid moment with the snake, where they understand each other. But then this like hilarious guy in like white overall pajamas is like he's wearing long underwear he's wearing long johns he wear he's like on a balcony nearby at his house he's like hey what are you doing get away from that snake and um he runs down and uh as soon as he gets over to uh horace he's like oh this guy's crazy and he tries to like (laughs) crawl away from horace like he turns and like tries to crawl up this hill but horace walks up it and like looks down at him and then starts like giving him, like, a stranglehold and choking him to death. And as soon as he does, the old guy's dentures, like, <laughs> pop out of his mouth, <laughs> and then he dies. Like, the dentures are his life force. It's, like, so beautifully weird. Like, could have cast anybody. With, but they, like, made sure to cast somebody who, would like, dentures can pop out of their All mouth. All the while, it's there's a snake farm. And a boa and, and snake lives. Snake is one of the only animals that survives this Yeah, movie. good point. Well, I bet a boa constrictor would be expensive to kill. Yeah. That scene kind of reminded me of that last of the 2000s Star Wars movies where Obi-Wan Kenobi's like, I have the higher ground, Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> and Darth Vader's like, you can't kill me. I. It doesn't matter that you have the higher ground. And then he jumps and he cuts his arm off. Does he get his arm off? Legs off? Arm. Arm, I think. Arm? Yeah. I can't remember. That movie's it's, so bad. Yeah. That's the worst <laughs> one. But yeah, so we're we're at this point in the movie where there's probably twenty minutes left, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, 
Maybe not even 20 yeah. minutes. It's tough to say because it's this is one of those movies that at, the further you get, it's like more incidents get packed into the movie, and then the end is like just like nonstop things happening. <laughs> so it is really tough to say. But we're at a point where basically everyone either has rabies or is running from the people who have rabies. And like, for example, I mentioned uh, Sylvia and Andy and Pete are together running around, and there's like this river that people keep ending up at, where like rabies people are chasing them, and they run in the water, and then the rabies people are like, water? Ugh! And then, I'm terrified And of then water. for whatever reason, the people without rabies leave the water yeah. and go somewhere else. They've all lived if you just chilled at the water. But during one of those river scenes is something that, Josh, you also noticed it's like one of my favorite bloopers in a movie. <laughs> is uh, there one of the, the rabies guys are chasing, and as we mentioned, some of them have machetes, but some of them have helmets. And as they're running, it's like a wide enough shot uh, where you can see all of them. And one guy trips and just falls right on his face and his helmet just rolls away. And everyone else keeps chasing after the, the people. But this guy stands up and, like, calmly starts looking for his helmet. And he's blatantly not, blatantly does not have rabies. No. It's like, they broke the scene for him and they're just like, what are, that's the only take they we shot it only shot. once, yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's the guy they found on Craigslist. Yeah. But, uh, so... I think after that, after they get away from her, that's when they Sylvia and Andy and Pete find pregnant woman, and she's like sitting by a tree just in the woods. She's like, "You gotta help me!" And they're like, "Stay away from us!" She I got have rabies. no one else. <laughs> they say, "You got rabies." It's just rabies, like a dog. Like, and then you mean dogs? <laughs> <laughs> and they leave her, and then immediately after they leave her, she—I mean, she's talking. Like she again, this is one of those weird like rabies Mary situations where I don't know what her version of rabies is, but after they leave, she looks at the string on the ground and follows it to a stake, and she pulls the stake out. There's a beautiful little lucky moment where a fly lands like right on the tip of the stake right as she pulls it out, and then she shoves the stake into her fetus in her belly, and then we never see her again. Like Done. she <laughs> died. She it's she probably, must die in the woods. She probably dies. That seems like a bad. Could injury. you stab yourself with a wooden stake so that you die? Like it seems like. She didn't really do it with any force at no. all. No, it, it was very. I was thinking about that in relation done. to Buffy, the Vampire Slayer. How she, when she stabs someone with a wooden stake, it's like, whoosh, whoosh, you know, like a, like a knife, like really yeah. fast. Whereas this lady, it was the slowest possible way she could stab herself. And I was like, I don't think she used enough force to get really no. in there. It seemed like, I mean, I hate to break the discussion, but it seems like what happened was she had a blood pack there, and she was like, if I push too hard, I'm going to stab myself, so just push until the blood pack pops. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that side of thing. Yeah, probably. Okay, so, so as a bunch of the hippies are dead, this after this happens, I think it's, it cuts to Mildred is at the bakery, and she's looking out the window, and Sue Lin is, like, staring at her through the window. And Su Lin has, like, the ceremonial dagger. And she pulls the ceremonial dagger from the sheath and is, like, walking threateningly toward the bakery. <laughs> but as slow as possible. As slow as possible. And then as she's doing this, Roger pulls up in a car and pulls up between Su Lin and Mildred, gets out of the car. Su Lin kind of stops, like, awkwardly, like, almost like she's been embarrassed. Roger looks at her just like... <laughs> Like, does, doesn't say anything, just looks at her in a moment where you have to be with like... With a knife in her hand yeah. still. And then just walks into Mildred's bakery, and they don't even talk about... <laughs> they, they, I think Mildred briefly mentions it, but Roger is just like, whatever, and Sue Lin stops 
trying to go into the bakery, too. It's a very weird moment. Uh, we uh, kind of skipped over one of my favorite scenes. Because, again, this happens in the rush of everybody's storylines getting all jumbled together. Yeah. But before Horace Bones kills the boa constrictor farmer, he is in the hotel just, like, ha hanging out, I guess, or tripping really hard or, like, having rabies mania. And the two construction workers that Roger sent to check out the hotel, they go into the house and they start exploring. And one guy, he discovers Shelly's body and he starts freaking out because he gets blood on his yeah. hand. And the other guy's like, we're not leaving until we check this whole house out. Which, in my mind, it's like they found a dead body with a leg cut off. Like, it's not going to get better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, call the police. <laughs> yeah. I guess cell phones didn't exist, so... Also, people were probably pretty curious. Yeah. But okay. So anyway, they go upstairs, and that's when they they uh, are looking around in the attic, and they see the... Uh, they don't see anything, actually. They're looking around, and Horace jumps from the ceiling. He's on one of the ceiling beams. Well, what... If you remember, there is one thing. There's a and noose he, hanging. Yeah, he, he nooses one of the construction workers, and I guess just by noosing him, he dies. Yeah. yeah. And he's, like, bleeding from the mouth. For some reason. Yeah. Because that happens when you... you yeah, know. when you get noosed, you just die. I forgot. <laughs> then, I don't know, this. there were a lot of, like, silly con continuity errors, but this was one that really blew my mind. Horace Bones is holding the rope, and that's how he ends up hanging that guy. And in the next cut, he's not holding any rope. Yeah, but the guy's still, like, hanging up like, there. Hanging. Yeah. yeah, he's still <laughs> hanging from the ceiling. He's a master tire. Like, he, he found a <laughs> They didn't need to, to show us that. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, you don't care about seeing the yeah. rope get tired. I know their audience. <laughs> so then Horace and this unnamed construction worker have this awesome battle to the death where they each are looking at the gun that's on the floor, but then looking at each other. And then there's music basically going like, eh, 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 Yeah, eh. I, I really would quickly want to mention this because when we bring up the gay filmmaker thing, and a year before this movie came out, there's a, mo a short film by Kenneth Anger called Invocation of My Demon Brother. I think that's it? Yeah, Invocation of My Demon Brother. And the score for this movie sounds so much like Mick Jagger's score for that. In, like, in a way where it's like... it. I, I can't think of any other thing that sounds like that other than these two movies. It's like a very... It, I know, it, and it works so well. It's so stressful yeah, that, in this movie. Yeah, that scene for me is like the only high, highly tense scene. Otherwise, it's the best filmmaking in the movie. Yeah, yeah this movie's not scary. No. <laughs> and if anything, it's gory, but it's not really even that gory. But this, ha this scene has one of my favorite gore moments where, okay, so Horace... And this guy, they're dueling it out, trying to figure out who's going to get to the gun first. The construction worker tries to go for the gun, but Horace has a knife and he stabs him. And as he stabs him, they show a shot of the construction worker where just, the knife comes out, but there's, like, spleen that yeah, comes yeah, out. Yeah, like, like, like sheep guts. Small intestine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it looks kind of like... Um, Oh, what what is that like? Yeah, like spleen. Yeah, it or was, or c really good cuts like, of meat. It was like like the duodenum fell out when <laughs> he got stabbed. Oh, it was so good. It was like yeah. I mean, I didn't want the construction worker to die, but I did. That was like the best death. Yeah, it, there's not a lot of that type of gore in this movie, so it was like fun to see like ooh, <laughs> just at the end of such a stressful scene for it to be like yeah, the gore is the payoff. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that happens, and then that's when he, I guess, decides to leave the house and kill the boa constrictor farmer. I don't know. That so, scene didn't need to be there at all. Not, uh, most <laughs> of the scenes didn't yeah, need to be there. I mean, so, back to the, the Sue Lin being outside the bakery thing. Sue Lin is... While Mildred and Roger are inside talking or whatever, uh, Sue Lin is sees like a gas can that's sitting on the front porch of the bakery, and she at first it looks like she's gonna pour it all over like the porch to set, burn the bakery down, but then she sees uh, <laughs> Horace coming at her, and he has a knife, and he's saying like death or die. He's saying like something very he has a sword he has a sword he's definitely like going to kill her and she's seen even when she was stripping she saw him murder someone else so what she does then and this is a moment where i was wondering is this racism yeah Uh, Yeah. (laughs) having the the one asian character commit suicide by immolation this especially considering this is less than a decade after the famous like buddhist monk photograph of him immolating himself and not to mention this is still like during vietnam so there would have been a lot of like self-immolation at this time yeah and so that moment i was like this is some like 70s racism where it's like <laughs> the, the, the asian character does it because of course asian characters do this like it, it seemed like that i thought she was gonna take a sword and and and, and that too. samurai her it really yeah. seemed like they seemed to almost set that up too yeah. <laughs> was, uh, they don't stereotype her too much but in that moment it was like it seemed very unintentionally racist. <laughs> yeah, so she sets herself on fire. Um, I want to also just throw it back one second to when Pete, the little boy, he discovers his sister and Andy in the barn. Yeah. And she's like, Pete, are you spying on me? And he's like, no, I'm just really concerned. I gave a bunch of people rabies. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, do you know what you've done? And Pete gives her this look. It's like the best look in the whole movie. He gives her this innocent little boy look, and he says, yes, but don't tell Grandpa. <laughs> I killed so many people, but don't tell him. Like, I intentionally gave a dozen people rabies, but please don't tell anyone. It's so cute. Anyway, okay, so they end up going to the bakery. So everyone's kind of converging. The yeah. construction workers, the Horace, even, even Rollo is coming back. From somewhere. They heard about those meat pies and yep. they're like, I gotta get me one of those. Well, yeah, and so Horace and Rollo, and well, yeah, actually, Rollo ends up chasing Sylvia, Pete, and Andy, and that's how they all get to the bakery. And Rollo sees Horace and Horace sees him, and they're both tripping so hard that they decide to like fight each other. They do get out to be the son of the devil, I yeah. guess. Yeah, and Horace has a sword, and Rollo has an axe. And they have this fight in, in front of, like, a series of dirt piles. <laughs> like, one of those things that was, like, it seemed, like, it's it's there. And so it was, like, I, what, was it just there and they decided, like, the dirt piles were the best background for this fight? Or did they want the dirt piles yeah. because of it was related to the dam? It seems like... I, it, my gut goes with it was just like the location that was available. It seemed very random, like a very like there was no other field or opening that they could film this fight in front of. Like the whole thing, it wasn't like this was a city. It was like the general store, which is the bakery, was was there, and then a house maybe like twenty yards away, <laughs> yeah. and then like that's that was all. Like then it there was, was downtown. Dirt. Yeah. Well, and even at the beginning of the movie, Horace Bones turns to Sue Lin and he's like. 
pick whatever house you want. Oh, they're all abandoned. Yeah. And they don't drive to another house. They, like, walk to find yeah. an abandoned house. Like, oh, so that yeah. one. That Everything's works. in walking distance? Yeah. It's very strange. But, okay, so... Uh, Mildred hides them all in the cellar. Well, before... Because what happens is Mildred and Roger are inside and they've boarded up the store. Everyone shows up. Sylvia and Andy and them are trying to get in. And then it's like right after the fight ends because... Okay, so... Oh, wow. I just realized we just, there's a bunch uh, of stuff to stop. It, it really... So much incident gets back to the end of this movie. So Rollo kills Horace by like shoving Horace's sword through like his lower back out of his mouth. Oh, and yeah. then um and then right after that is when all the construction workers kind of show up. Um they're trying to get uh, Sylvia and Pete and Andy are trying to get in. Mildred's pulling the wood off the door. Andy grabs like a chair to try to defend himself and one of the rabid construction workers says in very clear English, <laughs> you don't need that, which and is very weird. Slowly takes it, it takes away. It away. <laughs> ah, dang and it. then one of them comes up with a machete and cuts off Andy's head, which completes the whole thing of I, it seems like Andy was pretty guilty of getting Sylvia raped if she did get raped. So I was like, the whole movie, I was honestly kind of hoping that Andy would die and see him get decapitated. I was like, this is fair. Like, <laughs> he's yeah. kind of owed this for how well, he brought her into the situation. And he passively participated in a hippie, sadomasochist, uh, satanic Actually, yeah, the, the abbreviation for them was Sados, Sons and Daughters of Satan. So yeah, Sado Massachusetts. Oh, I didn't realize that was a uh, an acronym. Yeah, I just I, I only caught it this time. Um, yeah, but so Andy's head is cut off, and like I mentioned, every time a, a rabid person cuts somebody's body part off, <laughs> they carry it. They just hold it for the rest of the movie. So Andy's head is held by this one rabid construction worker for the remainder of the movie. Um, Sylvia and Mildred and Pete all get down in the, sh the shelter. I think Roger goes to get police, and Grandpa, by this point, has been neck-forked to death. So he's dead. He's, Grandpa's out of the picture. We have a total of four living people without rabies. Yeah. yeah. And so the three the three of them, the, the two women and Pete, are in the basement, and the rabid people break into the bakery, are literally, like, knocking the walls down. They, they, at one point, four of them push up against the wall, and it just collapses on screen. They're just destroying windows, destroying everything. Eventually, one of them breaks open the door to the cellar and very, very, very slowly makes his way down. Uh, Mildred shoots him, and they leave the cellar, thereby rendering that... They somehow get useless. out. Yeah. They somehow get outside. With and they get... like 20s or rabid construction workers yeah. still inside. They get into the car. Uh, Mildred doesn't. Mildred doesn't. She grabs the hose and is like spraying them. Because they're to, all in afraid of water. Away. And then she gets in the car. She gets bit, but the movie seems to not care. Like yeah. it seems to be like another, another loose end another that doesn't loose, matter. Yeah, another loose end doesn't matter. She gets in the car, the car won't start, and then all the... Uh, well, oh, I should mention, she sprays Rollo with the hose, and inexplicably, Rollo seems to die. Like, Rollo seems to completely yeah, die like from attack. being sprayed with water. Um, everyone else is alive. They're, sh sh like, shoving Andy's head at the dashboard and waving at them. <laughs> and then there's, like, a, an edit where it, like, is made to look like the car has been, like, flipped upside down. Yeah, well, the police got there. Yeah, like, I mean, actually, the car is flipped upside down, but they, like, visualize it yeah. in a very, like, quick, yeah. choppy way. It's actually pretty cool. Like, the uh, camera was moving, yeah. not with with making the car look the like yeah. directing of this movie was really good. Oh, yeah, it was really good. Uh, uh, but, uh, so it, that happens, and it cuts to black, 
and it seems like it seems like everybody's died. It seems like the classic, like that type of ending where we the movie ends with all hope being extinguished. But after the black, it cuts really quickly to a shot of a bunch of police cars pulling up into what is must be part of the parking lot that all the acid people are in. But you don't see any, you don't see the hotel, you don't see the bakery, you don't see anything that's been happening. You just see like an empty space that cars pull into. A bunch of cops get out. Cut to what has to be one of the best gun montages. I just wrote expensive guns. <laughs> it's like nothing. Like they don't show close-ups of the police or the people getting shot. It's just close-ups of like the barrels of guns firing and then like bullets being put into like chambers and fire and just like guns from all different angles. It's so good. It's like it's like a silent film montage of guns. It is so crazy. And then it only gets interrupted because Roger says to one of the cops, like, hey, be careful, there's some live people in there. And there's and the cop who he's talking to says, like, hold your fire. Like, and that they, would have done anything. Yeah. And it cuts to every ass person, every ra rabies person is dead. They're just lying on the ground. Cops got him. <laughs> the battle is over. That all happened almost entirely off screen through <laughs> implication. Which is so funny. Uh, and then they go to the car. The car is upside down. Everyone who is inside the car is safe and alive. They load the survivors into, like, a hearse. And then, uh... Which what? And then Roger, and then it's like Roger is talking to was it the director? It's like one of the yeah. damn guys, but it's the damn guy who's played by the director, Mr. David Durston. And uh, I think I think David Durston gets the last line because he says like it's a good thing we put him out of their misery because a death from hydrophobia is a lot worse. Oh, it's a, it's agony. It's agony. <laughs> and then it cuts to a shot of Pete is just wandering through a field with a gun. End at of movie. Sunset. Yeah. <laughs> at sunset, and the credits roll over that. So, uh, yeah. It is a quite, quite an adventure <laughs> to get to the ending. I drank that blood! Uh, but since we've talked through the whole plot now, I do want to kind of talk about some stuff. And you just mentioned that the directing is pretty good, and yeah. I really want to point this out, because exploitation films are usually god-awful. And this is the reason why we are so excited about brain damage when we talked about it, because brain damage is unusually well-made. And this movie, especially considering it's like 20 years before brain damage, is unusually well-made in... Uh, the, the one, uh, one very key way that I wanted to point out was that the cinematography for this movie is so much better than has any right to be. Uh, in this type of genre, usually what you would get, because it's so cheap, is you get like a set or just a wall, or wherever they're filming, the camera shoots straight ahead, camera does not move, you just do a long take where everything just happens, and then cut. This has so much, like, shifting focus, or, like, backlight, and foreground and background interplay. There are so many shots where it's a very, very ca complicated camera setup and lighting setup to pull off these shots that they could easily have not given a shit about and half-assed. But because of this movie has this look that you're more focused, you actually are able to focus and engage with the movie and care about it more because it just looks like a movie. Yeah. <laughs> it actually feels really good. We talked about the editing. There's a lot of, like, goofy edits where things kind of just, like, seem to teleport in, but there's also, like we mentioned with the car being flipped over, like, very creative edits um, just throughout. Like, it's surprising how... There's no, like, Paul Thomas Anderson two-and-a-half-minute long takes or anything, but just for this type of low-budget filmmaking, making a movie about uh, people dying so you can watch people die for your enjoyment, it's really weird to see at the, like, 
There, okay, uh, for a perfect example, and this is the only shot I'll bother describing, but there's a shot where the grandpa is trying to collect blood off of, like, these handprints that are on his car. And the, the shot is, the camera is inside the car, filming through the window that has the bloody handprints, and the camera starts where the focus is on the family, kind of, like, walking out of the house, and... As they approach, the focus changes over to the hands. So it's like a far background, a mid-ground, and a foreground, and it starts in the middle ground and changes. I don't know. It's it's a very it's a type of complicated shot that you'd never expect to see in this. And if you watch this movie, it's something you should really keep an eye out for. And then on that note, one last thing I wanted to mention, which is that the cinematography for this movie, it, there's a credited cinematographer named Jacques Demerco. I'm probably wrong uh, how to pronounce that. But there is another cinematographer who was uncredited named Joseph Mangin, and or Mangine. It's probably Mangine. <laughs> um, but he went on to be the cinematographer for John Sayles' Alligator. Oh, actually, it's directed by uh, Louis Teague, but John Sayles wrote it. Uh, and Alone in the Dark, which is the geriatric horror movie featuring Martin Landau and Jack Palance. <laughs> so the, that, that movie. And so this guy, I get the feeling, had a big part in how the, the film looked. Because both of those movies, maybe not as much Alone in the Dark, but Alligator is a very well-made movie. And it seems like they, again, these are they, people making a very goofy, weirdo, non-art movie, but they're still trying. They still actually put the work in to make it something worth watching. And that's like always worth pointing out when people do it in this type of movie. And yeah. I, at the same time that the movie was well directed, one of the things that kind of drove me nuts about this movie, and it didn't necessarily need to do this, but it's a movie about people tripping on LSD, right? At no point do we get any kind of uh, first person experience of someone tripping on LSD. None of the classic, yeah. like, like Weird blurry colors, yeah. Yeah. this is the same year that student nurses came out and student nurses we talked about this in our episode has a very good very realistic acid trip sequence yeah and so yeah it is it is kind of weird that they don't try to do that you kind of you i think josh said this but you kind of forget that people are tripping on lsd because it's almost a moot point halfway through the movie because it's more important that they have rabies and they're acting crazy yeah. because of rabies than the fact that they are on a psychedelic drug drug that warps their perception of reality. Yeah. <laughs> and they have rabies. Like, those two things combined could have made this, I think, a more scary movie. Like, imagine that scene where Sue Lin shows the death card and, like, if we had been in the first-person perspective of Rallo, where he's seen that death card and then what that means in the context of him knowing that he has some kind of, like, food poisoning and there's a guy laying with his feet all wrapped up. Yeah, just just mix that with... They're gonna the, be some, like, Jesus imagery. Yeah, mix, mix her showing the death card with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory weird psychedelic <laughs> yeah, tunnel scene. Yeah. That's what I would have liked. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just, for me, I wish they had gone a little, it's a 70s movie, but they don't really go, like, psychedelic with but it. But again, I think that's, it's an issue of, like, what their interests, yeah. where their interests lies. Yeah. Because clearly their sympathies in this movie are with, like, the squares in yeah. Valley Hills. LCD is bad. Yeah. 
What's what's the line? Uh, I may not know about that L stuff that makes you crazy, but I know about Ray. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that could be the thesis statement for this movie. <laughs> you had some trivia you looked up, Carrie. Do you want to? Well, yeah, but Josh, did you have anything else that we didn't touch on that you wanted um, to bring up? No, I, I was keeping track of the death toll throughout Ooh. the movie, oh. and I, at the end, you kind of kind of just have to lump <laughs> them all together. Yeah. Yeah. But before before the ending it was around 13 and i added about 10 so about 23 people died wow that's more than half the town's population right. yeah <laughs> i mean we also had the the addition of the eight hippies but yeah there was a, a good amount of decimation Dang, in this town yeah. <laughs> in a matter of 36 hours was it 36 uh, that was another thing too Ish, time yeah. time kind of flew night by. came and by a couple times <laughs> no one really slept yeah yeah, Pete didn't get a lot of sleep. No. He was too busy making those meat pies. <laughs> uh, Trivia-wise, um, I found out a lot about the director, David E. Durston. Um, he died in 2010. He was 88. Um, he served in World War II. It said on his Wikipedia page and on his IMDb page that he was survived by his longtime companion, John Damon. And John Damon was Roger. Okay. So... They worked on a lot of movies together. Um, he, uh, before I Drink Your Blood, he directed a movie called The Love Statue, which is another LSD exploitation <laughs> movie. But in this one, this guy, he falls in love with this cabaret dancer, and then he ends up going to the cabaret, and a woman there gives him LSD, and then a few days later he wakes up, and someone has murdered the cabaret dancer. <laughs> so... Who knows how this guy really feels about LSD, but okay. So, uh, he also did a movie called Stigma, where a disease spreads through a town via teenagers, and the doctor who tries to cure the disease discovers that there's a conspiracy to cover up the disease. Ooh. Yeah, so that kind of sounds... sounds, That sounds good. Yeah, Yeah. that sounded pretty good. And then, this is where we get into uh, the interesting part of his career... (laughs) He uh, went the X-rated gay route in in movie making. He made a movie called Boy Napped, which didn't have a plot uh, on IMDb, so I'm assuming it doesn't necessarily need a plot, but it's rated X. And also, he's credited as a different name, so oh, he yeah. didn't use his his like director name or his real name when directing these movies. Yeah. So, uh, my favorite though is he directed a movie called <laughs> it's called manhole <laughs> and here's the here's the plot two vice cops infiltrate nyc's gay underworld to entrap homosexuals who engage in illicit acts wow. dun, dun, dun. all right and now since you brought both those things up i need to point out something i learned and this isn't going to appeal to most people this is a very very obscure thing but Listeners of the F Plus will be familiar with a man named Jamie Gillis, a porn star who, uh, <laughs> to quote whatever thing they read in the F Plus, nobody loved asshole more than Jamie Gillis. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, Killa- Jamie Gillis loved exquisite acts of anal worship, so on and so forth. And Jamie Gillis is a star of both Boy Napped and Manhole. <laughs> so if, if you're an F Plus listener and you want to learn a little I bit more never- about. If you want to learn a little bit more about Jamie Gillis, uh, check out Manhole from your <laughs> local library. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. 
I would never have guessed manhole was about butts. Yeah, what? <laughs> wow. Probably heard about vaginas, right? Yeah. Yeah, the manhole. I thought it was about sewers. <laughs> the sexual life of a sewer worker. <sighs> um, also, a random fact about the director. He was interviewed for E! True Hollywood for an episode about Bella Lugosi. Ooh. <laughs> so that's weird. Um... This movie, uh, some other things I found out about um, I Drink Your Blood is it's also known by the name Phobia or Hydrophobia. And did you see it was released on a double bill? Yes! With I Eat Your Skin? <laughs> God, I want to see that. That would be such a grindhouse, like a great grindhouse evening. Like, you go in and you watch both those movies. It reminds me of the Simpsons joke where the place is showing, I spit on your grave and I thumb through your magazines. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, well, and I Eat Your Skin is a zombie movie. So, Ooh, that makes yeah. sense. There's that. This movie was filmed in Sharon Springs, New York in eight weeks. Uh, and the woman who plays the mute, uh, Carrie, that actress is Lynn Lowry. Paolo and I actually uh, went to a screening of one of her movies where she was there. Was it Shivers? Yeah, it was Shivers. Yeah. And um, the movie Shivers, which we saw, and she came out and she still looks beautiful. She is gorgeous. She's 70. She was killing it. But... She came out and she was like, ah, I love you, all you horror people. And the movie that she showed, Shivers, oh my gosh, that movie still freaks me out. Yeah. It was so <laughs> scary. It is about this like building, uh, like an apartment building, where somebody in the building gets a sexually transmitted disease where it's like a slug that you can give to other people by having sex with them. Okay. And, but the sure. slug, it makes you hypersexual. And so you end up wanting to have sex with other people and you like for you end up like forcing yourself on other people. And so this whole building gets infected with this like slug sex disease. Oh, it was so scary. And actually, now that you mention that, I think the other movie I know Lynn Lowry from is The Crazies, which is a different type of everybody goes crazy movie. <laughs> but that's a George Romero movie. It's really good. But she seems to have a thing that she likes to be bringing up. <laughs> also, I do want to mention, shout out for myself, that Lynn Lowry was briefly in talks uh, to be in a movie that I worked on. Uh, the movie I worked on was the uh, with the title Night of the Living Dong. Uh, <laughs> I worked for a very disreputable production company in Chicago briefly, and that was our crowning project that never got off the ground. But Lynn Lowry uh, was a friend of one of the people I worked for, and they almost had her in this along with some other people who should have known better. <laughs> Thankfully, the project did not make it. But uh, yeah, I just want to brag that I sort of and not really was, know anybody. <laughs> and what was that movie about? It was about a... Hitler's dildo being unearthed and anybody who got fucked by the dildo turned into Hitler. <laughs> Man, the world will never know the pleasures of that movie. Yeah, well, I still have my copy of my rewrite of the screenplay, so someday we'll have a table read uh, when copyright law does not exist. Yeah. I also want to uh, point out that Lynn Lowry, the character I was just talking about, Carrie, she's the one that saws the lady's arm off. 
She didn't get credited in this movie because she doesn't have a speaking role. And they purposefully make her mute. But if you go, if you look up this movie on Wikipedia, she's the second name that they list. Yeah, because like, well, she's... she ended up being one of the most famous people in yeah. the movie. <laughs> yeah, but that, how shitty is that? The, the, like, the laws around who, who gets credited is so fucked up. Yeah. Okay, but anyway, the other trivia I found out about this movie is around Horace Bones. <laughs> a.k.a. Baskar. Um, he actually... So this movie came out in 1970, and in 1977, he actually fell off a stage and became paralyzed for life. Oh, man. Oh. Yeah. And he was in a wheelchair for the rest of his life, but his uh, parents were dancers, uh, actors, and painters, and so he, in the second half of his life, became a well-renowned painter. Oh, good for him. Yeah, isn't that cool? <laughs> cool? You, like, turned it around. Yeah. Uh, a bad situation, I mean. Uh, not the wheelchair. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you probably turned that around a couple hours. So. <laughs> I know, but I'm clarifying. Um, yeah, and actually, if you're curious about this guy, you can always Google him and find some of his paintings, which I did, and they were they were pretty cool. But he also, he was a famous dancer, as well as actor, and you can go and find some of his dance video, like, choreography on YouTube, if you're interested. He also died recently, uh, but he did the audio commentary for this movie before he died. You know who also died recently? Jamie Gillis. <laughs> Rest in peace. I hope his gravestone says exactly what you said earlier. I'm sure his grave—it's like his gravestone, and there's like uh, the the dirt in front. There's like a little bit of like a mound in the dirt. <laughs> but yeah, that's like all the trivia I found. All right. Well, then, do you guys want to get into teachable moments? Yeah. Yeah, we're talking forever. All right, well, I, I'm ready to go with teachable moments. Uh, so, I, as I've talked about, this is not the first time we're talking about an exploitation movie, a disreputable movie, and this one is a really good one, easily one of the best. And a part that we didn't really get into, kind of hinted at, but a big thing that played into this being so fun is the dialogue. And if you're going to make a movie that is... Uh, it's not an art movie, it's not to be taken seriously, it's just supposed to be fun, uh, regardless of the type of fun. Have fun with the dialogue. Give your characters interesting, weird stuff to say. If you can't be clever, at least give them weird stuff to talk about, because it just keeps... It, the movie never drags. This movie has dialogue, like I mentioned before, let it be known, brothers and sisters, that Satan was an acid head. Now drink up and we will all freak out. Or... <laughs> There's nobody left in Valley Hills because of your damn damn. Or rape is a little out of an engineer's domain. Or nobody wonders about anything but me. And like, like the movie, that's like all the dialogue. It's crazy stuff like that. We talked about other examples. But so my teachable moment is just that if you're going to make a movie that is low budget and grimy and goofy and gross, then like have fun with the dialogue. Because it's yeah. so easy to overlook that. We've seen plenty of really fun, bad movies that are stupid. Even Stuart Gordon, who is one of my favorite B-movie guys, has a movie called From Beyond, where they got so obsessed with the special effects that they forgot to make the dialogue or screenplay even remotely interesting yeah. or good. And we talked about how sloppy this is. This isn't a screenplay that was trying to have like a structure or anything. So again, why not give your... Give the actor something that's fun to say or fun to hear, even if it's just for you, because that fun will carry over in the final product. So, yeah, good dialogue. That's <laughs> a good teachable idea. moment, Paolo. Oh, thanks. It's going to be better than mine. <laughs> <laughs>
Josh, you want to go? Sure. Um, so if you've gotten through this without Googling and not going straight to the trailer, don't watch the trailer. Because this is the only knock I have on the movie. It, it, the trailer really shows like all of the really grimy and gory moments. And I would have not watched it and enjoyed it much more, probably. But, obviously, it was an amazing movie, and that's the only knock I have on it. But they were like, this is the most gory movie you'll ever see. And, and showed all of the gory moments. And oh, I was man. like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to watch, like, it's going to be, like, the whole time it's going to be like this. But, yeah, so... If you're going to if you're going to promote your movie as the most gory movie and drinking blood, make make some more drinking of the blood. <laughs> I think that's a fair critique. Yeah, this movie's pretty tactful with the blood mm-hmm. <laughs> considering mm-hmm. the title of the movie. Yeah. Although they do pour that chicken blood on on uh, Sulin's boobs. Yeah. That's kind of gross. Yeah. But that's definitely fake blood. That's on her boobs. So. Yeah. All the blood was super fake. Yeah. It's very watery blood. Yeah, wasn't like but like corn syrupy red. It's like Argento-y blood at times, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my uh, teachable moment goes back to what I was talking about earlier, where we never get, like, first-person perspective of the drug use. And I think, for me, that would have made this movie more scary. But the this movie is not, I don't think, meant to be a scary movie as much as it's supposed to be an exploitation movie. And I think it does that very, very well. Yeah. But yeah, that's short and sweet for me. Oh. Right, it works. <laughs> Good. Good, I'm glad oh, wait, it works. Wait, wait, oh, actually, hold on. Your teachable oh. moment, your teachable moment, you're like, well, it would be this, but it's not this, so what What was your teachable moment? <laughs> sum, sum it up in one sentence. <laughs> My teachable moment is if you're going to make a movie where your characters are tripping on drugs, at least give some context to what it's like for them tripping on drugs. Oh, perfect. There All you right. go. Well, then, I guess if that's it. Was that perfect? Yes, that was perfect. Oh. Uh, and now we have officially talked longer than I Drink Your Blood. <laughs> so uh, this has been The Secret Cinema. I'm Paolo. I'm Carrie. I'm Josh. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this Christmas episode of The Secret <laughs> Cinema. The red blood of Christmas and Santa. We, we all talked about holidays things. that one time. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, So don't get murdered. Don't let any cults join you for Christmas. Uh, don't have meat buys for Christmas. And don't let dogs bite you. Don't let dogs bite you. And we'll see you in 2018. Or you'll listen to us in 2018. I always say see like it's television. But anyway, uh, <laughs> this has been the Secret Cinema. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Yep. Cinema is produced and edited by Paolo Caron. All theme songs were performed and recorded by Ricardo Ortiz. Any additional music or samples come from the film covered on this week's episode. All logos and artwork created by Carrie Chafee. You can follow Carrie on Instagram at Carrie Saw This and see more of her artwork at www.carriechafee.com. You can watch Paolo's short films at vimeo.com slash Thanks
Thanks again for listening.